Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody, and happy Friday. My name is Nicole Thomas, VP of Information Services here at McKinney Flavelle, and today is Friday, October 20th, 2023. Welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast. Uh, And I have a very special guest uh, with me today, uh, our very own Jeffrey Rosinski, one of our knowledgeable folks here at McKinney Flavelle to talk all things cocoa and chocolate just in time for Halloween. And uh, speaking of scary, I'm going to cover the market uh, at this moment. I'm deeming uh, Night of the Living Dead, that the edible oils. You think that's fair, Jeff? Night of the Living Dead. How did you come by that? Because right now it looks dead, but it may be coming out of the grave soon. Well, be careful what you wish for, I guess. I know. <laughs> wish for, prepare for, however you want to look at it. Um, but first, I just want to remind everyone about the great market information you can find on our IQ platform. We've got our new commodity insights section. That's going to give you that up to the minute uh, updates for many commodities, including the two we're going to discuss today, cocoa and edible oils, but also corn, soybeans, sugar, wheat, dairy, biofuels. We even have something on the economy on that uh, portion of the site. Uh, and this last week, we posted some updates on Mexican sugar exports, soybean crush expectations, corn basis, everybody's favorite topic, uh, our U.S. sugar monthly report. And by the way, you got to check out those monthly reports. Uh, as a matter of fact, there'll be a bit more detail on some of the things we're going to discuss today within those reports. And of course, we, we have some price forecasts uh, for cocoa, uh, as well as edible oils and all the other lovely markets we cover. So if you're not an IQ subscriber, just give us a call and we'll set you up on a demo. And one last thing, this is going to be a premium podcast uh, and Jeff and I are going to have some suggestions for how you can cope with these spooky markets. No, it's not therapy, (laughs) but we will call it risk management. So with that, let's get started. And Jeff, uh, go ahead and kick off with What's happening in the cocoa markets? Yeah, instead of therapy, you might need some heavy medication, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> sounds right. <laughs> yeah, so so we're 10 days away from from Halloween, and I think Halloween, and I think naturally candy and chocolate sales. Right. Right, right Nicole? Of course, of course. And, and I, I need to start right off the bat. So your your son, is he excited about upcoming Halloween and going trick-or-treating, or is he at an age now where he's too cool to go out and trick-or-treat? Oh, no. I would not say too cool in the fact that we literally have a Harry Potter costume. So yeah, yeah, all all out with tie, you know, the scarf, you know, putting good money to uh, use with with what was purchased earlier this year, Universal Studios. So I'm actually fine with it. (laughs) That is excellent. That is excellent. So it's always a, a a fun holiday. And just to remind everyone, so the third quarter grinds for Coco just came out, and it's important to put that in context. The third quarter covering Mm -hmm. the months of July. August and September are those, you know, th- you know, three months leading into Halloween and Halloween is always peak sales month as people are gearing up and ramping up production, making inventory ahead of Halloween, uh, Halloween sales and getting that product on, on the right. shelf. So that's why the, these numbers in particular are always, you know, the, the ones that are a key focus of the, uh, of the marketplace and they're all out now. So let's, let's dive in there and digest some of the details. Okay. So Western Europe was the first number to uh, be announced last week, and they actually came down 0.9%. 
And people were encouraged by that number because they said, it, although it was negative, it was slightly better than expectations, if you can, if you can believe that, Nicole. Yeah. So, um, you know, but following that argument, I think it's more important to kind of step away from the tree to look at the forest. And we were down 0.9%. When you look at it on an annualized 12-month rolling basis, we were actually down 2%. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. So, yeah, some, some warning signs on the horizon on that one. Germany for the third quarter was down 4.2%. That's a subset of Europe. Um, so, you know, again, keeping in context, Europe was down fractionally and people were encouraged by that because it was a, you know, it was a better than expected, but still a negative number. Mm-hmm. Um, so Germany was actually worse than Europe as a, as a whole. But, uh, you know, just kind of recapping, you know, Western Europe as a region was down, you know, 2% for the statistical crop here. Um, very few regions were actually positive, so to kind of turning to some, you know, some of the you know the bright shining stars of the uh, of the globe, um, Brazil and South America was actually up twenty six percent or twenty six and change. Oh wow! And uh, and GPEX, um, you know, the west, you know, Western Africa Ivory Coast region was actually up as as up as well. Good. And and their number was um, was up seven percent and. That, that brings them on an annualized basis for the last 12 months of the crop year for 22, 23 crop year up 10%. So, but, you know, it's important to kind of, again, you know, bear in mind that Western Europe is by far the, the leader. It's the biggest region by a factor of two to three times bigger than the, than the next, you know, reporting region. So they're going to kind of set, set the tone. Sure. Now, the, the, now, the two other major reporting regions were Asia um, that, uh, that just came out in the last uh, two days, they were down eight and a half percent for Ooh. the third quarter. And more important, that was slightly worse than expectations that brought them on an annualized statistical crop year um, down three percent. And then the last last one to report kind of drum roll, please. And the one that's most important to all of our listeners will obviously be the North American market. Right. And I, when I got this number, you know, last night, I kind of had to do a double take. I had to reach out to to a couple of folks and ask, is this number real? Because it was so negative. It was hard to believe. We were actually down almost 18%. 97, yeah, 97,881 metric tons for the third quarter. Again, keeping in mind that the third quarter is that key quarter where, where cocoa processors have to be bringing in raw cocoa beans roasting them, uh, winnowing them, removing the shell, grinding them into liquor and processing them to cocoa products to then get those cocoa products out the door to some of the large confectionery companies to gear up to make all of their production and inventory ahead of Halloween sales. Um, I keep cocoa statistics going back, you know, several decades and you need to go back 15 years um, to find a quarterly number lower than this number, and the third quarter wow. is usually usually the, the the biggest, if not if not the biggest, and certainly the second biggest quarter of the year. And so far, this is the lowest number we've had in uh, in literally fifteen years. Wow, this so, is not good news for my son. No full size candy bars this year, I guess. Y- yeah, <laughs> and, and the, yeah. And the way I view um, grind, Nicole, is um, it's really a it's a it's a precursor, it's a, it's a harbinger of kind of what the demand in the cocoa segment is looking like because cocoa processors are obviously only um, going through and processing cocoa beans to make the finished products, to make things like cocoa butter and liquor and powder to sell to all of the major confectionery companies. So if those confectionery companies are kind of behind on their orders and not ordering as much product, then there's no need to really process those cocoa beans and convert them into um, semi-finished cocoa products if there's no demand for it. So it's kind of a, a good kind of a, a you know precursor or a read to what those chocolate sales are ultimately looking like. Yeah. I, well, uh, I, you know what? This is sounding very much like a scary story 
for my kid. So I, I'm going to have to yeah. keep him away from this podcast because I can see his, the, the color coming out of his face. No, no, mommy. <laughs> Tell me it ain't so. <laughs> yeah, so it's, I don't know if it's a trick or a treat or more if it's just a really <laughs> scary movie, you know, but, right. uh, you know, keeping with that Halloween theme for sure. Yeah. Well, wow. Um, well, you know, looking at Coco Futures, one might not necessarily think uh, that this is, that is <laughs> these, these are what the fundamentals would be suggesting. So, I mean, what, what gives with the Coco Futures market? Yeah, so therein lies kind of the interesting kind of fabrication or kind of um, altered altered state, if you will, or false narrative that I think a lot of people are painting about the cocoa market. Um, a lot of analysts out there talk about El Nino, abnormal weather, what's happening in crops. What I find is that you know very few people spend the time kind of diving through the statistical details yeah. of of the grinds, and it's always important to remember that the grind or disappearance that's half of the balance sheet. So I see a lot of right. people paying a lot of attention to, you know, you know, what's happening with weather and rain and pod counts and what, you know, gold mining and all these like these, you know, these crazy narratives on the supply side. But precious few of them actually do the uh, the heavy lifting or the, you know, the uh, the analysis when it comes to forecasting grind. And after all these third quarter grinds were released, I went I went back and took a look at, you know, um, aggregating them all into an annualized total and then also just not looking at one particular region, but aggregating all of the, you know, the major announced you know, regions for Asia, North America, Western Europe, GPEX, et cetera, you know, collectively together. I'm, I'm you know, seeing the grind on a statistical crop year basis from Q4 of last year through Q3 of this year is up only a fraction of a percent. So up maybe 0.25% wow. at, at best. And I think the error, the flaw that a lot of people are doing with their analysis is a lot of people had forecasted much more robust or bigger grind numbers this year that just haven't come to pass. And so there's been too much emphasis or focus about, you know, upcoming El Nino and what that could do with declines in crop production and, and, and things of that nature. And not, not enough real, not enough talk or not en enough analysis on what's going on in disappearance or, or the grind. Gotcha. So hopefully this means we're going to get eventually, you know, the market rationalizes itself and, and rational minds come back to the market and pressure those prices a bit. But uh, maybe that's something we can discuss a bit more uh, in a bit more detail for, for our clients and our extended uh, portion of this podcast, Jeff. But man, that's a very interesting dynamic. And it's funny, you're seeing too much strength in cocoa futures. I'm seeing arguably too much weakness in soybean oil futures. Mm. So as a matter of fact, let me let me dig into that a little bit. And I'm going to try to keep it short because, you know, I am verbose. Thanks, dad. I'm blaming my father for that. It is his fault. And, and you know, my son will blame me for it later on. But keeping it short and sweet. Uh, I know quite a few of our clients uh, checked in uh, with the webinar this week and, and we covered quite a few of these topics extensively as it relates to the soy complex and, and, and particularly soybean oil. But I think there's three factors that tell me that the soybean futures market uh, or soybean oil, I should say, futures market still has some life in it despite this recent pressure on futures. See, I tied that Night of the Living Dead back in there. I like that. I think I thought this through a little bit. Um, <laughs> so three factors. Number one, soybean yield. 
The short version is it's yet to be determined. Now, if we looked at the uh, WASD of last week, uh, USDA did lower that yield number uh, a bit to 49.6 bushels uh, per acre. They started off the year closer to uh, 52 <laughs> bushels per acre. So we've seen uh, the trend uh, highlight decline thus far throughout the marketing year and, and really throughout uh, the production season and harvest. And as I've said, uh, probably ad nauseum at this point, I don't think we're going to know officially what that yield is until a lot later than normal. So, you know, kind of best case scenario, we have a relatively firm idea uh, by December, may not be until that January WASDI uh, that we, we truly know where that yield is. In other words, I think we're going to have to fully get through harvest uh, because this growing season just, I mean, if there were, if there was one word that I heard throughout the summer, <laughs> as it related to row crop production in the U.S., it was variability. And soybeans uh, being the same, as a matter of fact, was having a conversation recently with a client with some contacts uh, in Indiana and uh, two farms that were relatively close to each other. Uh, one, one farmer ended up with uh, a yield coming in around uh, 52 bushels per acre. The other farmer, literally miles away, 48 bushels per acre. So that just highlights the degree of variability, not even just from state to state, but this year field to field. Uh, so that's the first thing, trying to get a handle on those soybean ending stocks. And perhaps we can get a little, a little pressure on soybean uh, exports to help with that. But, but, but wait, there's more. Then there's number two, Brazil. Brazil's had some issues uh, of late. Believe it or not, parts of Brazil are under drought. Yes, despite it being an El Nino year, which is usually fairly decent to the weather for South America, we've seen sporadic weather conditions in Brazil and Argentina, frankly, and Argentina uh, is still relatively dry. But just as we're seeing low uh, river levels on the Mississippi that are crimping barge movement of grain down to the Gulf for exports, the same thing is happening for Amazon uh, River tributaries right now. So a few examples, uh, the uh, Madeira River, I'm probably pronouncing that horribly. I don't blame me. I'm from the Midwest. I can't roll my R's. Nicole's Portuguese is a little rusty, everybody. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, more than a little rusty. <laughs> but uh, that's in Western Brazil. They're reporting record low water levels. Uh, and that's impactful for grain coming from Western Mato Grosso and Rodania. I probably murdered that one too. Coming through one of the ports there, uh, Veljo, where the barge weights are being reduced by 50%. And you're seeing the same with barge capacities in other notable riverways, uh, including you know the, the port of Miratichuba. I hope I got that right. I may have murdered that one too. On the uh, Tapajos River. I need to, uh, <laughs> I really do. I got to find Babel or something, get this together. But the moral of the story there is that weather, i.e. moisture, is not expected to improve until uh, next month. So we have at least a week or so uh, left to go uh, to see how things pan out there. But again, rele relevant to the U.S. market and trying to find some weakness in soybean consumption to, to, to keep those 
ending stocks propped above 200 million bushels, which still would be on the his, on the low side historically. We would like a little help in that category, but depending on how this demand plays out, most notably uh, from China and and their import appetite, we may not get as much of a break in that space as we are hoping for. Now, as you know, uncertain uh, as those two dynamics are, this last one is the one that uh, has me scared like my mom when she first saw the exorcist. Oh boy, hold on to your seats, everybody. I know. Yeah, this one's this one was this one was frightening. The NOPA report for September. <laughs> so NOPA released its crush in uh, for September. And that came that soybean crush, and this piece by piece here. This is where I need people to, to follow along with me. The crush, soybean crush, came in at a record 165.456 million bushels, uh, record for September. And that was well above the analyst expectations. They were thinking something closer to 161, maybe 162 million bushels. We've also had pretty good oil yields throughout this marketing year. I mean, we're, we're looking at numbers up upwards of 11.85 pounds uh, per bushel, which, okay, I just said uh, high soybean crush. So crushing a lot of beans. And we're getting oil yield, good oil yields. So production, soybean oil production is actually looking pretty good. But despite that high crush, soybean oil consumption strength is preventing those stocks from growing. And as of September 30, NOPA had their soybean oil stocks at a mere 1.1 billion pounds. And that's down 11.4% from August and was its lowest level since December 2014. So just as you're digging in the crates here a bit (laughs) to look for similar scenarios for cocoa, we're trying to do the same here for soybean oil. And if I have to try to ascertain where that strength in consumption is, is coming from, I don't have to be a rocket scientist to, to suggest that biofuel demand is where we're seeing it. So for perspective, marketing year to date, we have uh, utilized uh, almost 11.2 billion pounds of soybean oil for, uh, that, um, for that category. And that's just October through July. And that's up 18% from 21-22. So say we do around 1.1 billion per month for the last quarter of 22-23 marketing year. Uh, That would put us at total usage for the year of about 14.5 billion pounds. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's the number we're going to see on the balance sheet. But what, uh, because currently USDA is, is, has that number at uh, near 12.1 billion pounds. But what I am suggesting is that we could still see an increase in that category of demand for last year's numbers uh, and an additional drop to carry in for 2023-24. So in other words, right now, that balance sheet is showing us somewhere around a, a 1.7 billion pounds of ending stocks, reality may be that we're, we're lower yet. And time, time will tell, certainly. And unfortunately, this biofuel data is, is, is typically 
pretty delayed. So as I mentioned, we're, we're only getting July numbers at this stage. But this is why I say Night of the Living Dead, because if you look at soybean oil futures of late, you know, we've been coming under pressure. We're in the low 50s. Uh, you go all the way out to the end of 24 into 25, and the values uh, have been sub 50 cents. It might give you the false impression that, oh, everything's fine here. I mean, prices are coming down after all. Uh, but I would say, eh, not so fast. Maybe, just maybe, this is a, a indication of that action is needed. And uh, we're going to talk about that more here in a second. That is so, always good advice, then, uh, Nicole. So don't uh, don't get too complacent with these markets when they give you a when you when they give you a gift with lower prices compared to, compared to where we've been. <laughs> exactly, we saw that in uh, at the end of first quarter into second quarter this year, uh, and a lot of folks uh, did take take uh, that offering and act upon it. Uh, but you know, as my our, our predecessor. Uh, our former uh, leader of McKinney Flavel used to say all the time, pigs get slaughtered. And uh, yeah, there's a nice little reference to soybeans there too, isn't there? Uh, <laughs> I'm always looking for the joke here. This is kind of depressing stuff. So you got to find the joke. But anyway, that adage is very relevant right now. So more on that in a second. Before our general uh, listeners this concludes our, our weekly hot commodity podcast. And as always, we want to thank everyone for listening in. We don't have Mike on the podcast today, but if he were here, he would say to always live with an attitude of gratitude. And until next time, take care, everyone. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence Platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favel.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.